So we are we have handouts out on the counter just outside to the left there. The sign up sheet is there also. And uh, so I was told that's going to be the new place always for handouts for Sundays and Fridays and whenever we teach. So um, if you haven't signed your name on the, the sign-up sheet, just put your name down and then uh, we will add you to the list. Okay, so we are going to look today at the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, that will be Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. So this is another one of those great icons of, um, of comparison. And, you know, like if you... I, who here has a, a Christian icon in their house? Does, does anybody have... Okay, so a few. Um, if you look at an icon, there's so much going on in there. And, I mean, there's way more than we even realize... Like, um, for example, if you look at an icon of Jesus, uh, always uh, the face of Jesus has a certain depiction, and the, he has a long nose. And I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but Jesus has a, a long nose in the icons. The reason is, in Hebrew, uh, slow to anger, like if you've ever heard the phrase like in the Psalms, slow to anger and about, abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger in Hebrew literally means long of nose, okay? Um, and so, so when Jesus, so when, when the Psalms, for example, depict Jesus or God as having a long nose, you're getting a, a little description of what God looks like, okay? So, you know, there's all kinds of things like that in icons. And, um, you know, you'll have an angel up in the corner and, you know, all kinds of stuff and a scroll and, and all of that. Well, so today we're going to look, we're going to take an iconic look at Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. So let's read it, and then we'll walk through and, and look at the different things going on. Jesus said, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. 
Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. And this is the text. So, Here we have a very interesting contrast between the rich man and Lazarus. So, you know, there are a few themes at work in this this narrative. You have the poor and the rich. You have heaven and hell. And you have community and loneliness. So as you look at this picture, think about the differences between the two. So... One difference would be that um, the obvious thing, one is rich, the other is poor. And rich in the Greek understanding is someone who is full. They, they just, they're full, full, and there's no need. And I talked about this a little on this, in the sermon this past week, that the real issue isn't with wealth for wealth's sake, but it's do we recognize our need um, in whatever place the Lord has put us. And so you have that going on. This parable is set within the context of Luke 16, verse 14. So it's addressed to the Pharisees because if you back up to what happens right before the rich man and Lazarus, you have the Pharisees, and verse 14 just opens right up and says, now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard all these things and they derided Jesus. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So the issue is that the idol for the Pharisees was their money. So, you know, everything always goes back to the first commandment, right? Who or what is your God? And so Jesus is pointing out, you're lovers of money, so your God is really your money. And then he gives this parable. This happens in Luke. For example... Uh, 
St. Luke 18 compares the Pharisee and the tax collector, and just after that, Jesus counsels the rich young ruler in chapter 18. Then you have the story of Zacchaeus, who is wealthy in Luke 19, and that's followed by the parable of the pounds. And then we have our text today. So Luke has this theme rolling throughout in different places. There's also the blessing and the woes in Luke's gospel. And so he's definitely hitting some some heavy themes here. Proverbs chapter 14 says, The poor man is hated even by his own neighbor, but the rich has many friends. He who despises his neighbor sins, but he who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. Um, So think about this text. Okay, so what is one contrast? So you have the rich and the poor man, but what's another contrast or difference in this text? Yes, Pat. Okay, yeah, one fares well and the other does not, right? The, the poor man has sores. And so, you know, for him, his problems are compounded. And then he's placed at the rich man's gate every day as an opportunity. You know, God gives the opportunity for the rich man to do some good, but it never seems to work out, right? The rich man seems to walk by all the time. The poor man just wants crumbs and the dogs come and lick his sores. So, you know, that's definitely one contrast. One's healthy, one's not. And that so often happens in life, right? Where problems compound. What else? Yes, Donna. One is esteemed and the other one is looked down Right. So one is esteemed, probably has a lot of friends, and then the poor man seems to just sit alone, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the language of going along with being poor, but the language of feasted sumptuously every day and then desired to be fed. Yeah. Wanting crumbs. I don't know, I'm curious like what that word, sumptuously. Yeah. Let's take a look here. Because that just sumptuously sounds just like abundance. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an amazingly great feeding. Like, it is like, it's like high feasts. Yeah, it's it's a word for extravagance. Yeah. Yeah, wanting crumbs and not having even just, yeah, just barely, an, yeah, that's right. Just the things that fall from the table. Yeah, good contrasts. What else is there? Yeah, Pat. Right, exactly. So one has faith, one does not. What else? Shelter. Shelter? Well, that's true. Yeah, I mean, the rich man has, has a nice home, but the, uh, the poor man seems to be out in the cold. Yeah. Yes? Um, contrasting to how they were 
originally the, the rich man was you know comfortable and Lazarus was not. Um, in verse uh, 25, it says, um, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Yes, reversal. There's this great reversal in the text. Yes. Uh, the rich man has brothers, so he has family, he has other people, or it seems as if Lazarus was pretty much alone. Yeah, yeah. Else, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, very good. Uh, I also think, or I've noticed Lazarus doesn't speak in the text, um, whereas the rich man is often defending and trying to petition. Yes. That is also something going on. Now, I, there's one thing I haven't heard yet, and that is one is named and the other one is not named. Now, the naming is huge. Names in the Bible are very important. Like, um, oh, golly, um, you know, you think about, the, well, for example, the name Lazarus is, uh, means God delivers. So, you know, you have, um, and, and then also like um, when, when Benjamin in the Old Testament was being born, his mother's dying in childbirth. And so she says, this child's taking my life. I'm going to name him Ben-Oni, which Ben-Oni means son of my sorrows. And Jacob says, no, no, no. That can't be his name, son of my sorrows. His name has to be Ben-Hamin, which means son of my right hand. Okay, so, ben, so Jacob thinks that Benjamin is the fulfillment of the promise in the Garden of Eden to Eve. He thinks that, he thinks Benjamin will be, so think about this, okay? So you Rachel and Leah, right? And Leah, Leah is giving birth, and, or Rachel's giving birth, he loves Rachel. She's dying. So he thinks, this is my love. She's going to die. This is the last male child. This has to be the Messiah. So he names her, or names him, son of my right hand. But then, of course, that's not right either, right? The, the lineage comes through Judah. And so, but, so naming is very, very important. So the fact that Lazarus, and this, by the way, is the only parable where there is a name mentioned. And that signals that this might be more than just a parable. It, it's very, it very well could be the fact that this is a true account that Jesus is letting us in on. So, look at, if you look at the handout, 
We don't have time to read Psalm 37, but you could read it on your own. So on the second page, near the top, Psalm 37 appears to be a long reflection akin to the rich man and Lazarus. So knowing this account, then go back and read Psalm 37. But if you look at Okay, so Lazarus means divine help. It derives from the older name Eliezer. Lazarus is named, but the rich man is not named. Now, just take a look at some of the scripture that talks about naming and memory. Like, one of the things that, uh, so the Eastern Orthodox Christians, they have this phrase when somebody dies, and they say, May his, may his memory be eternal. May her memory be eternal. Um, that comes from this idea of naming. And if you're named, then you're remembered. Think about baptism. Before we, when we get into the baptismal rite and before we even do the baptism, the pastor asks, how are you named? And then, you know, and we always have to tell the parents, you know, we're not losing our minds when we're at the baptismal font and we're like, what's this kid's name again? You know, <laughs> but, you know, when we ask, how is this child to be named? It has everything to do with this, that God's people are named, which is to say they are not forgotten. Okay. And so here's some scripture that that reinforces this. So Revelation 17, 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. And then Revelation twenty fifteen. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Isaiah 14, 20. You will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land. You have slain your people. May the offspring of evildoers never more be named. Isn't that interesting? Proverbs 10, verse 7. The memory of the righteous is a but the name of the wicked will rot. So all this is dovetailing into this account of the rich man and Lazarus. Psalm 112, verse 6, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. And then Psalm 9, 5, and 6, you have rebuked the nations, you have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. And then Psalm 918, for the needy shall not always be forgotten and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. So there's our Lazarus. So this is a great comfort for us because, you know, like Matthew's gospel, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, you know, you have this theme of rich and poor, 
but it's ultimately leading us to the spiritual. How are we? Well, we'd like to think we are rich in spirit, but it's interesting that Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. So there's a, a certain honesty that comes along with our faith where we, we're not afraid to say, I struggle. Um, I, you know, the things that are happening to me in my life um, are difficult and they, they sometimes cause me to stumble. Um, you know, the things of the world sometimes do pull on my heartstrings and I sometimes feel the pull to go in the wrong direction, but my Lord will deliver me. You know, poor in spirit is that honesty where we're not afraid to come to confession and absolution. And it is precisely in that spiritual poverty when our Lord makes us wise and begins to turn us and, and uh, cultivate our souls and shape us deep within. And, you know, you think about that, right? The people of faith that have gone before us, maybe it was a, a Sunday school teacher or a, a, a Lutheran school teacher or a pastor. And, you know, you think about that, or a grandmother or a grandfather, and you think about that person, you think, boy, they really had a, a really deep, faith and there was something about them that was just there was a richness right and how did they get that richness but it was through going through the struggles of faith and life but always running back to the foot of the cross and then Jesus shaping their souls through uh, good times and and tough times and that's how they, you know, that's how the Lord and the Holy Spirit works to cultivate us and, uh, and strengthen us in the faith. Okay, so you've got the rich man and Lazarus. Now, in this text, also, they're different in terms of location. So heaven, hell, Hades, and paradise. But the rich man is seemingly alone. There's this isolation. So he's, he dies and his, he's buried. And the Greek word is the word we get for like, I think epitaph, you know? So he's, he, he must have had a good burial, but then off he goes. So the picture here for him is just as in life, he didn't need God and he didn't really need anybody else. And so that's what he gets in death, solitude, isolation. And this is how the devil works to isolate us. And when he isolates us, that's when he does his, his best work. We start to question ourselves. We question our faith. Um, maybe we make bad decisions because we don't have someone to talk things through with. And things just go deeper and deeper, right? The hole just gets bigger and bigger. With Lazarus, 
it says he dies, but it doesn't have any word for a proper burial. So who knows what they did with him, right? I don't, I'm not sure what they did with the poor in those kinds of situations, but he dies. It's, but he's carried by the angels. So though he was lonely in life, the angels attended to him and carried him into the arms of Abraham. So this is something for Christians to remember that though we may go through life with different blessings and challenges, whatever the case may be, we're never alone. There is always the Lord Jesus who is with us. We have the holy angels who also attend to us. And so he's carried and he rests in the arms of Abraham. So what we see here, Abraham is the patriarch, right? He gets the promise in Genesis chapter 12 where the Lord says, I will make your name great. I mean, there's so much to say about this. Like in Genesis chapter 10, you have the, the names of the, of the sons of Noah and then the descendants. And there's Shem. And Shem is, means name. And Shem, you know, he becomes like the Semites. Okay, so he becomes the line. But then you get to the Tower of Babel. And back with Noah, God said, God gave the command, go and you will and be fruitful and fill the earth. And when you get to the Tower of Babel, the people were like, hey, let's build this tower. Otherwise, we're gonna be scattered over the earth. So God said, go and fill the earth. And the people at the Tower of Babel are like, we don't wanna fill the earth. We wanna stay right here and build this tower. So they were going against God's word. But what they say, do you remember this? Let us make a name for ourselves. And that causes a problem, doesn't it? So there's a difference between, so the rich man in the text, he's in hell not because he's rich, but because of his unbelief. It's where his heart is. And that's something that's really important no matter your station in life, whether you're rich or poor, do you recognize your need and where to go to fill that need? And that's Jesus, right? The rich man's problem was he didn't know where to go. He went to himself. He wanted to make a name for himself. And as a result, he is forgotten. He loses his name. And so the Tower of Babel, let us make a name for ourselves. Then you go to the next chapter after God confuses their languages. You get to the next chapter, chapter 12, and God says to Abraham, I will make your name great. 
So see the difference? Let us make a name for ourselves. God says, I will make your name great. So here's the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus is named, which is to say he's eternally remembered. He's carried by the angels into the arms of Abraham, the patriarch of the church. And he rests, therefore, with church, with holy community. Yes. I find it really obvious about Abraham being, you know, Father Abraham. Imagine Lazarus being with all the offspring of Abraham in heaven. So not only just Abraham with Lazarus, but everybody else had to be close. And, and the fact that the rich man could see them. Yeah. And then wallow in the solitude because he's not in the community any longer. That's great insight. That is exactly great. That is great insight that, you know, Abraham is representative of the, the whole heavenly host. Because have you ever thought it's weird? Like, why isn't he in the arms of Jesus? That's what I always thought. Like, before I understood it, I'm like, why isn't he in the arms of Jesus? Why is he in Abraham's arms? What's going on here? But it's representative of the fact that Abraham is given the promise in Genesis 12 that his descendants are going to be like the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. And it all comes through Jesus. And so when we look at heaven, it's Abraham and Jesus and all the heavenly host and and that's so Holly makes a great point that you know hell can be a lot of things and we often think of hellfire and brimstone because we get that in the Bible and heat and you know I don't know why I always think of like you remember the Bugs Bunny uh, cartoons and you know, or, or uh, Tom and Jerry, you know, and they always had these episodes where, you know, Tom the cat's down there, you know, and, you know, it's hot, and, you know, there's a pitchfork and horns, and, you know, and he's sweating, and, you know, we think about that, but hell is you get what you want, but more than you can handle. And so the rich man didn't see a need he had no need in life other than to serve himself. So he lived for himself. And so that's what he gets in hell. He gets himself, but more than he can handle. And his tongue is burning. And his tongue is burning because his tongue was never used to confess the name of the Lord. And... And so Holly makes this great point that hell is also seeing what you missed. So Lazarus, so this whole conversation is going on between the rich man and Abraham, but Lazarus seems to be in eternal bliss, right? He, it's like he has no idea this conversation's taking place because he probably would be Heartbroken if he could see the rich man in, in Hades, right? But the rich man can see heaven's 
joys, but he can't participate in the holy community. And yeah, go ahead. I had an old note in my Bible that it's interesting that here's Lazarus in torment, but he still wants to be served. Because yeah. he's telling Abraham, tell, tell Lazarus to go get me some water. That's right. The, well, that's part of it. The rich man, and this is the thing, like in hell, he recognizes what he's missed, but he, it doesn't change him, right? He still thinks himself above Lazarus, who now is at rest. And so that is definitely one of these things going on in the text. And so what he wants then is, well, send Lazarus, send somebody, send Lazarus to my family. Because he at least doesn't want them to suffer this same thing. And what he does, and, and this is, you know, if you, if you think carefully about this, like verse 24, he wants him to come and dip his finger in water, cool his tongue. But then in verse 25, it, this, is, this is remarkable to me. Abraham says child, which is a, is a term of endearment. You received your good things in your life. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things or bad things. Now he is comforted and you are tormented. Um, the good things. So here's the thing. The word for good, there's different words for good. The word for good, you received your good things, is a word that's only used for God's things. It's Agathus. And this word, by the way, is used like with the rich, ma- the rich young man in Jesus. And remember that, the rich, the rich young man comes to Jesus and says, hey, good teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And what's Jesus' first response? Why do you call me good? The reason he does that is because the rich young man uses a word for good, the word for good that's only used for God and God's things. So Jesus, it's like a rhetorical question. Why do you call me good? What are you saying? You think I'm God or something? You know? Um, There's another word for good which means beautiful and is more like um, the attributes, I guess kind of the attributes of, of a holy life Um, which um, Paul uses a lot. But this particular word means that the things that the rich man received were the things from God. It was just how he was to use them. So it's very interesting. But so then, on the last page here, The rich, so the rich man has five brothers in verse 28. He wants some, someone to go to them and witness to them. And he says, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the Old Testament. Which is to say, they just need to go to synagogue or temple. Or for our consideration and learning, all they have to do is go to church. And they will hear everything that they need to hear to avoid hell. 
It will teach them how to live in the midst of what God has given. And how does the rich man respond? In verse 30, No, Father Abraham, but if someone would journey from the dead to them, they will repent. So this is like necromancy. You know, this is like conjuring the dead. This is like the witch of Endor conjuring the prophet Samuel. Yes. I have a question about the good things that you were just talking about. Yeah. And after that it says Lazarus and uh, and like manner bad things. What does that mean? Does that mean things not of God? Yeah, so so the bad things were that um, evil, like um, evil was always like pressing in on Lazarus. It's, um, that word can be like um, bad, foul, um, ugly, filthy, yeah. And that's, that's this, the sign that, or, or kind of the statement that um, poor Lazarus really had evil beating on him in life. And, um, but the Lord, the Lord used it for good and turned it for good. Um, and that, you know, this gets to that, that Luke, Martin Luther theme of the theology of the cross. That, you know, like Luther says, God's glory is hidden in suffering. And that is a really hard thing for Christians to work through. But, you know, it's back to the crucifix and the cruciform life that Christians sometimes face uh, and, and live with the cruciform pattern upon them. And nobody wants it. You know, nobody asks for it. Um, but if it comes, uh, the Lord will turn it for good. And um, so Lazarus... Lazarus represents, so if you think about this, you know, I said at the very beginning that this is sort of in reflection to Jesus talking to the Pharisees who are lovers of money. So, you know, remember that this parable is couched in between the Pharisees who wanted the best seats and, you know, wanted everything to be great and then there were the forsaken. You know, there's the poor, the tax collector, you know, the sinners, the, the adulterers, you know, the Gentiles. Okay, so you have the Pharisees and you have the Gentiles. And one looks to be blessed and the other one looks to be despised. And the picture is Jesus comes and and cares for those in need and he saves them. And so this is preaching something for us. So as we look into this icon, we see ourselves and whether it's an illness or um, temptations that continually trouble us or our past sins or maybe the temptations because life's really good. And so 
we look at ourselves as those in need. And so that's the thing. It's not about whether you're, you have a lot of money or whether you don't have a lot of money. It's do you recognize your need in whatever place the Lord has put you in. And if you recognize your need, then you're like Lazarus. Does that make sense? So he wants to conjure the dead, the rich man does. And it shows he still doesn't get it. And then Abraham has this wonderful and amazing end to it. He says to him in verse 31, If they will not hear Moses and the prophets... Neither will they be persuaded if someone would rise from the dead. And so he's, I mean, he's, and it's the same way today, right? When I was an atheist and I had had um, five friends commit suicide in like a two year period. And I'm struggling with what's going on here. And, you know, I had these moments where I was like, you know, crying out and saying, God, if you exist, show yourself to me. Because I, I felt like if, and this, so this was an atheist with no church background thinking, okay? Looking at life, looking at death. And I was saying, God, if you exist, if you will just show yourself to me, then um, I'll believe. Like I actually uttered those words on a few occasions. And, you know, for me, it was like faith wasn't enough, like I had to see. It's, it's similar to the rich man's request. I wanted something miraculous. He wanted something miraculous for his family. But the way of the church is Jesus puts a place, an altar in a neighborhood and then a pastor and then people and the word of God and the sacraments and all they need to do is go there and God's word brings life. The Holy Spirit works through the word and faith springs and we're Persuaded through the word of God. The world wants the miraculous. Jesus and his miraculous is hidden in mystery. And the rich man never understood. But Lazarus, in the midst of his struggles, did. And, you know, there's one thing that I do want to share. Go to 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 to 23. 2 Kings 6, 8 to 23. Now the king of... So just take a look at this real quick. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. 
Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. He struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. So it was when they had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw. And there they were inside Samaria. Now when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? But he answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and your bow? Set food and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Then he prepared a great feast for them. And after they ate and drank, he sent them away and they went to their master. So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. I mean, that, it, that text could take an hour alone. But just for now, think about the, the, the servant comes out, he sees the army, and he's like, oh no, we're going to die. And the, Elisha the prophet prays and says, open his eyes so that he can see. He opens his eyes. He sees horses and chariots of fire all around them and up into the mountains. He sees the heavenly host. He sees all of the heavenly host around them. And so, you know, this is the thing. Like, people of the world want the miraculous with their bare eyes. But we are led to the prophets. We are led to the apostles. We are led to Jesus. And as we rest in them, when we go to church, we are surrounded There is Jesus. There are the angels. There's the heavenly host. So close as if we could touch them. And this is our reality. That we are not truly alone. And and yet it's veiled in mystery. And so as the word of God attends to us, 
the soul springs by way of the Holy Spirit. And there is so much going on around us and within us that we just do not even realize. And uh, the text of the rich man and Lazarus is an example of that. That though the rich man had a lot of friends, perhaps, acquaintances, people that would dine with him, but yet he didn't have he didn't have Jesus and the heavenly host. He didn't need them. He didn't need Christ. Poor Lazarus sits at the gate. The dogs lick his sores, and yet he's never alone, but the Lord sustains him through it and carries him to paradise. And this is for you. No matter what, no matter what you're given in life, whether easy, comforting times or troubled times, uh, we recognize through our particular need that Jesus abides with you and he promises to stay with you and, and all the heavenly host and uh, you will be carried by the angels and the Savior to heaven. So let us pray the collect and then receive the benediction. Let us pray. O God, your divine wisdom sets in order all things in heaven and on earth. Put away from us all things hurtful and give us those things that are beneficial for us. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Amen.